We are in the midst of numerous festivities taking place in Los Angeles, California, and beyond. Celebrations of events past and present. Grab some food and drink. Join in. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In the intro, you heard the words festivities, celebration, good food, and drink. And all of these are appropriate for baseball fans because so much is happening in and around the game. And fans in the game and of the game in the United States and around the world are experiencing and enjoying the happenings that surround all of the festivities going on for the All-Star break. I want to go back to Saturday where they began and work forward from there. So on Saturday night in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium was the Futures game which is essentially a minor league all-star game. So you have the best players and the best prospects in minor league baseball that gather for this game. And they play that game Saturday night. And there are a number of highlights that we could look at from that game, but there was one that really jumped out at me. A guy this big, this young, with that kind of body control, where it's constant quality stuff and strikes. Diaz bounces out. Now that was impressive. Okay, so the announcers really didn't give you many details. Let me fill in a couple of of details for you. That was a ground ball in the second inning, hit to shortstop, fielded, thrown to first, and the putout was made at first base. The shortstop was Mason Wynn. He is a minor league player for the St. Louis Cardinals. But what made this so impressive, and you can tell the announcers didn't realize it at the time, but people very soon after did, is that the throw that Mason Wynn made from shortstop to first base was 100.5 miles per hour. That is the fastest throw ever recorded from an infielder. Most recently, the fastest was recorded by O'Neill Cruz, who had just gotten called up from the Pirates when he, also at shortstop, threw a ball 97.8 miles per hour. Mason Wynn threw his almost 3 miles per hour harder. A hundred mile an hour throw from a shortstop. That is remarkable. That was Saturday night. Last night was the first night of this year's Major League Baseball amateur draft. And of course, every year the question is, who is going to be the first pick of the draft? First round, first pick. And this year it was the Baltimore Orioles who had the first pick in the draft. With the first pick of the 2022 MLB Draft, the Baltimore Orioles select Jackson Holiday, a shortstop from Stillwater High School in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So you heard there that the Orioles took a high school player, a shortstop. The second pick of the draft was also a high school player. The first and second pick of the draft were high school players with last names that should be very familiar to you. Jackson Holiday, the first pick, is the son of Matt Holiday. The second pick in the draft was 
Drew Jones, son of Andrew Jones. Two high schoolers, two sons of very good Major League Baseball players. I think many people would argue that Andrew Jones is borderline or maybe even should be in the Hall of Fame. It'll be interesting to watch how these two young men develop coming out of high school into pro ball, again, assuming that they sign. I think they both are are likely, if not already, have agreed to sign. I also read this morning that the third pick in the draft appears to have agreed to sign. And this is a man that I was wondering about as we went into the draft. The Texas Rangers had the third pick, and they used that pick to draft Kumar Rocker. Now, if you remember, last year, Rocker was considered one of the best pitchers in the draft, along with his Vanderbilt teammate, uh, Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter went very high. Kumar Rocker went with the 10th pick overall, which is still high, but the Mets who chose him at that spot didn't expect to get him. But then, after a physical, the Mets decided not to sign him, or at least not give him as much money. Kumar Rocker said, I'm not signing. Kumar Rocker did not go back to Vanderbilt. He could have. He had a year of eligibility remaining. He played in an independent league, and now he is the third pick. And my understanding is he plans on signing, at least what I read this morning, with the Texas Rangers. And in doing so, he will rejoin his teammate from Vanderbilt, Jack Leiter. And so two of the most highly touted pitching prospects from last year are now in the same organization with the Texas Rangers. Now, the draft began last night. We just had the first round last night. It will continue throughout the day today, and we'll go into tomorrow, but it will wrap up well before tomorrow night's All-Star Game. But something is going on tonight as well at 8 o'clock, and that is the Home Run Derby. And the main question that people have about this is, will there be a three-peat? Or, you might say, will Pete do it for a third consecutive time? Wow, what a year Pete's having. What a year. Perfect balance. He's so strong. There he is. He's your home run derby champion of 2019. Alonzo defends his title. The 2021 derby champion. Put the belt on again. For me, I, I think I'm the best power hitter on the planet. To be able to participate is, it, it's a dream come true. And to be able to do it back to back, it's it, this is really special for me. So tonight at 8 o'clock, Pete Alonso will try to win his third consecutive home run derby. And until somebody dethrones him, I think he has to be the favorite, though he's not the number one seed. Here's how the first round matches set up for tonight. Number one, the number one seed is Kyle Schwarber. He will be going against the eighth seed, Albert Pujols. Pete Alonso is the second seed in this tournament. He will face off in the first round against Ronald Acuna Jr., seventh seed. Corey Seager is third. He will face off against sixth seed Julio Rodriguez. And that leaves the number four and five seeds, which are Juan Soto and Jose Ramirez. That again is tonight at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow night at 8 o'clock is the All-Star Game. Later on today, the starting pitchers for the game will be announced. I was a big fan and hoped that we could see Kershaw against Verlander. Verlander, however, pitched Saturday night for the Astros. He will not be pitching in this game. So what I want to see is, for the National League, the starting pitcher is Clayton Kershaw, and for the American League, Shohei Otani. Both are deserving. That's not the problem, or not not an issue. That's not really even debatable. But how great would it be, we're at Dodger Stadium, for Clayton Kershaw 
to start for the National League team, an obvious first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the great all-time Dodgers in history, in a storied history, against the Angels, another L.A. team's starting pitcher, Shohei Otani, who, by the way, is already the starting DH in this game for the American League. We'll see. We'll find out later today who will be the starting pitchers for each team. But that's my vote. Now, even though the All-Star game is an exhibition game, yes, we had a period of time where it it resulted the winning team, uh, it resulted in home field advantage, let's say, for the American League in the World Series. We've done away with that. It is an exhibition game once again. That being said, even though it's an exhibition game, it has been very exciting at multiple times throughout the history of the All-Star game. And in some cases, generational memories were formed. So my question is, will anything happen in tomorrow's game, tomorrow night's game, that will match what took place in the All-Star game of 2001? had been voted in as a third baseman, but at the 2001 All-Star Game in Seattle, Alex Rodriguez insisted that the Iron Man take his place at shortstop, the position where he'd become a legend. Then in the third, Ripken responded to a standing ovation with a big swing at the first pitch he saw. player ever to homer in the Midsummer Classic, along the way to his second All-Star MVP award and an American League victory. How remarkable was that? Cal Ripken Jr. in his final All-Star game of his career, in his first at-bat of that game, on the very first pitch he saw, hits a home run. That at 40 years of age. And he wins the MVP award, and to put the cherry on top, the American League, the team he represented, won the game. Will we see anything like that this year? We have a couple of opportunities as it regards men at the end of their careers that could do some special things. Miguel Cabrera for the American League at 39 years of age and Albert Pujols for the National League at 42 years of age. So, of course, if Pujols were to hit a home run, he would surpass Ripken Jr. as it regards the age of someone hitting an all-star game home run. This is outstanding stuff. I I hope we see some of that. And again, I mentioned it last week. I, I think the legacy pick idea is a great one. And I think it is a great thing for the game of baseball that Miggy and Albert are going to be in this game tomorrow night at Dodger Stadium. So we kind of went back to Saturday and looked at all of the things that surround the All-Star festivities, but there were a couple of teams that had reason for celebration well before the All-Star break began. One of those was the Baltimore Orioles. And there it is! Ten consecutive wins! Three consecutive sweeps and a team that was 58 games under in 2021 
has a winning record on July the 13th of 2022. The Orioles with their third straight sweep, the first time in 17 years. They are 45 and 44. So that was Wednesday night. That was game 10 or win 10 in a row for the Orioles. The most they've ever had since 1999 when they won 13 in a row. That win on Wednesday pushed the Orioles to 45 and 44, as you heard in that clip. And that is the first time this late in the season that Baltimore has been above 500 with their record since September of 2017. Now, as we go into the All-Star break, they are at 500 now. But it has been a long time since Oriole fans have said, had something to, to, to celebrate. And they are able to celebrate this. Now, I don't think Baltimore is going to make the postseason, but nonetheless, this is something that Orioles fans have to be enjoying and celebrating. Now, if you are a Mariners fan, you can now stop saying bad things about me because I recognize that on that same night, Wednesday night, the Mariners also won their 10th game in a row. But unlike the Orioles, That streak wasn't snapped the next game. As a matter of fact, it still hasn't been snapped. It still hasn't ended. As we go into the All-Star break, the Seattle Mariners have won 14 games in a row. It's only the fourth time in the history of the Mariners that they've won 10 or more games in a row. They haven't done it since 2002, and then they set a franchise record by winning 15 games in a row. Now, the All-Star break is going to be interesting as it regards this winning streak. However, 14 wins in a row going into the All-Star break is the longest ever in Major League Baseball. Seattle, unlike Baltimore, I think Seattle does have a very good chance of making the postseason. And they have the longest drought in North American professional sports as it regards team sports for going the longest period of time without making the postseason. The last time they did was in 2001. And their streak is two times longer than the next longest streak in Major League Baseball history. I think the the fans of the Mariners not only have something to celebrate now, but I think they're going to be able to celebrate a postseason bid when this regular season is over. So I'm enjoying all these festivities that surround the All-Star game and the All-Star break. And even though I'm not a fan of the Orioles or the Mariners, like them or like their fans, my celebration also began earlier in the week. How do you feel about it, I guess? You know, like you know, some people say you're, you're letting your team down. Um, team supported you, though. So well, how do you feel about it? I mean, yeah, it's, it's an extremely unfortunate situation. Um, obviously, my teammates know how I feel about them and, and um, how bad I want to be out there with them. But... Um, it's just unfortunate that I'm not able to make the trip. What, what are your reservations with your team? I just, I mean, I'm a healthy 31-year-old professional athlete um, that I just didn't feel a need to get it. Um, I've had COVID a couple of times and super mild symptoms uh, back when it first came out. And when it came time to decide whether um, I needed a vaccine or not, I uh, talked with a couple of doctors that I knew and told them my story. and just really decided I didn't think I needed it. And I, I wasn't going to take it just because I was told to, basically. So mm-hmm. Even if it meant not missing? Because you're going to forfeit a good amount of salary. Yeah, but I mean, what's 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 money when I'm not going to let Canada tell me what I do and don't put in my body for a little bit of money? It's just, just not worth it. 
That was an interview done with Phillies catcher JT Realmuto because the Phillies had to travel to Toronto, I believe it was for two games early last week, and Realmuto could not make the trip. The three-time All-Star, not this year, he's not an All-Star this year, but three-time All-Star. And they were asking him about that. And his response for me was a lot of common sense with uncommon conviction. And he said it wasn't worth doing it for a little bit of money. Now, that little bit of money was more than a quarter million dollars. I think to be precise, it was $260,000 that he missed out on by not being able to make the trip, not making the trip because he has refused to be vaccinated. That is, for me and you, that's a lot of money. But I will say this, even for him, who makes a lot of money, that is a lot of money. Again, what he said about why he chose not to, to me, is common sense. But it's uncommon conviction to give up that kind of money because you believe something that strongly. Now, right after that, the Royals had to travel to Toronto for four games, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we found out that 10 of their 26-man roster and three coaches were not able to make the trip. I don't know about the coaches, but for the players, they lost anywhere from over $186,000 for not making this trip to somewhere north of $15,000. These things fire me up. Now, I've talked about this a lot, and you might be saying, ah, you're one of these anti-vaxxers. No, I am not, but I am pro-freedom. And I believe that if a person believes he should get a vax or wants to get the vax, that he's free to do so, and he shouldn't be penalized for doing so. He shouldn't have his job at Jeopardy for doing so. He shouldn't be forbidden from playing or losing a lot of money for doing so. But I think the same thing on the other hand. So that if people decide not to, they have the freedom. And they shouldn't suffer the consequences either. So what I am against is a forced vaccination. And I'm very pro-willingness to stand on convictions regardless of the cost. That's, to me, what it's really all about. Now, I recognized that some players, it's more of a convenience than a conviction. And by that, I mean there are some players who may decide, even though it's been this long, well, you know what? If this means I can go from a team that's not in contention to the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Rays or even the Blue Jays, well, then I'll get it. I'll get the vax then. Well, then that's not a conviction. It's convenience. Bob Nightingale for USA Today actually wrote an article about that, saying that, oh, yeah, it's a conviction until... Well, I don't celebrate that at all, but I do celebrate people that are saying, I cannot be bought. I believe this is the right thing for me to do, or I guess we could say in this case, it would be wrong for me to have this done. That's something to celebrate. That's a reason to rejoice, is when people have the conviction to stand by things regardless of the cost. It reminds me of a story I heard, I don't know, 15 years ago, that John MacArthur told. And and again, I heard it 15 years ago, but the gist of it is going to be accurate. He said there was a, a very wealthy old man who approached a very attractive young woman. And the wealthy man said to the attractive woman, will you sleep with me for a million dollars? And she thought, and she said, yes, yes, I will. And then the old man said to the young woman, will you sleep with me for $10? And the woman became indignant and said, What kind of woman do you think I am? To which the man responded, We've already determined that. 
Now we're just negotiating the price. I don't celebrate for those kind of people. But the people that cannot be bought because they have conviction, that is something worthy of celebration. I've spoken a lot in this episode about festivities, celebration, good food and drink. And it's interesting that in Scripture, four words are very closely related. Celebration, feasting, festivals, and rejoicing. Which means that I've been looking at this from a biblical perspective, the way the words are used in Scripture. And so i got to make a qualification. As it regards anybody that is not in Christ, they are of the world, all they can do is party. It's Christians who are truly able to celebrate, feast, and rejoice. And that's because, biblically speaking, the purpose behind any and all feasting, any and all festivals, is to keep first and foremost in our minds the power and goodness of our covenant God. His power and goodness in directing our lives, in blessing us abundantly, in giving us good things. And that would include the game of baseball. That would include all of these festivities surrounding the All-Star game. And for the ancient Hebrews, they often feasted for no special occasion, other than simply they were glad in the Lord. And they would feast even during difficult times, even when enduring trials and tribulations. Even then, their lives were filled with celebration and rejoicing. And in Christ, ours should be as well. If you're in Christ, then I trust you are experiencing this kind of feasting and celebration and rejoicing throughout your life, from Major League Baseball All-Star festivities to commemorating Roe being overturned to birthdays and anniversaries, and most of all, by feasting at the table with the Lord each Sunday. But I know that not all of the people that listen to this podcast are believers. And for those of you that are not, I encourage and exhort you not to settle for partying with the world. But join the feasting fellowship among God's people. A fellowship with feasting because of King Jesus and what he has done. A feasting and fellowship that is entered into through repentance of your sin, in faith in your Lord and Savior. I'm not done yet. I want to pass along some words about feasting. First, these by George Grant. Consider the fact that we can hardly read a single page of Scripture without running into a discussion of bread and wine, milk and honey, leeks and onions, glistening oil and plump figs, sweet grapes and delectable pomegranates, roast lamb and savory stew. Everywhere we look, there are feasts and celebrations, fatted calves and pungent herbs, loaves and fishes. The story of man begins in a verdant edible garden, and it culminates at a magnificent marriage feast. Matthew Henry wrote about being in Christ and wrote these words, In him our joy will be full, and it is our fault if we have not a continual feast. Speaking of feasting and celebrating, the Fight Laugh Feast Conference, third annual, will be October 6th through 8th in Knoxville, Tennessee. There will be feasting. There will be great teaching. There will be celebration. And I would guess, and I think with a high degree of confidence, that there will be, I know there will be singing, and we will sing a song that is titled, Come Men of Christ Be Strong, written by John Bishop. Hear the words of the fourth verse. Sing, men of Christ, sing loud. Our banner is the Lord. 
First in, last out, and laughing loud, we work for our reward. One day we'll hear well done, and all our striving cease. But till our lifelong race is run, we'll fight and laugh and feast. Join us in Knoxville, October 6th through 8th. Join us singing that song. Join us in celebration. Join us for good food and drink. Join us for great teaching. Here are some more words that I love about feasting. They're from Robert Kappen. We were given appetites, not to consume the world and forget it, but to taste its goodness and hunger to make it great. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.